we would like to uh, we would like to take our our lesson text this morning out of the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter six, <clears throat> and we're going to start in the ninth verse. And now this is a this is um, the model prayer as instructed to us by the Lord Jesus Christ. Um, we, we've gone through this uh, in Sunday school before, and, and it certainly gets referenced to in, in sermons. And, and But this morning, I, I just really feel the need. I really feel the need for us to visit this because I believe there is something that we really need in the world today, and I believe that what we really need is we need to be instant in prayer. And we need to pray without ceasing. But we need to know what we're praying for and, and why we're praying for it. And, uh, and so uh, I would like to start here in uh, ninth verse of uh, the sixth chapter of the book of Matthew. It says, And after this manner, therefore, pray ye. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory forever. Amen. And now I want to stop right there. That's really short, 9 through 13. Uh, the model prayer. And now I want to ask you a question this morning. When you pray, what does, what does that prayer consist of? Now, look, I, I think the heart matters most of all, right? The, 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 how you ask it, it just about matters as much as what you're asking for. But what is in your prayer? Now, I believe we, if I asked uh, that question, most of us would always say we start out our prayer by acknowledging God, don't we? And, and most of us will start out and say, Dear Lord, or Our Heavenly Father, or, or, or Lord in Heaven, so, something like that. I don't know how you start your prayer out, but we'll start out in some way referencing our Father above. Now, that's exactly what Jesus taught. Jesus taught that when we pray, the very first thing we do is we acknowledge God. And He, doesn't not, he does not just only acknowledge God, but He says that He's hallowed. Now, does anybody, everybody knows what hallowed, what it means to, that when something's hallowed, right? In golf, they call, uh, they call Augusta National the hallowed grounds, right? The sacred grounds. So when you're talking about prayer, when you're talking about reverencing the name of God, you're talking about reverencing the most sacred name of names. Jesus. In the Old Testament, Jehovah Elohim, the heavenly host, right? That's who we're trying to invoke. That's who, we're, that's who our petition is being made to. And in this verse, he says, when you pray, you pray this way. Our Father which art in heaven, acknowledge where he resides. I'm currently uh, working on a paper over Revelation. 
Not the book of Revelation. One of the things I say in that paper is the word, just the word revelation among most Christian circles is a word that sends most people running and packed for the hills and they want to get away from it because they've built it up into a Goliath that they don't believe they can tame. But all the word revelation means is to really just to teach somebody or show somebody how to do it. Jesus is revealing a model prayer. This is how you pray. Not the, the words, but this is how you follow it through. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. We've already touched on that. Now here's, the, here's, here's the, the next thing I would like to acknowledge. In the next verse, he says, thy kingdom come. Now, the, the verse there that is, thy kingdom come, that's a takeoff of an old Jewish saying where they would say, where they would say, the kingdom of thy Messiah come. The kingdom of thy Messiah come. Now notice, when Jesus is in his model prayer here, he doesn't say that, uh, that our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy, the, kingdom of thy Messiah, the kingdom of thy Messiah come. He says, thy kingdom come. He left somebody out, didn't he? He left himself out because he did come and he is there in the world right now and he's establishing it and he established that kingdom while he was in the world. The church, uh, which is the pillar of the ground of truth, is the kingdom of God. And so when you pray, look folks, we, we need, there's a lot of prayer that needs to be done today. We need hearts changed and God's the only one who can do it. Uh, uh, but when we pray, uh, we should be praying for the, for the kingdom of God. There was two things uh, in the old Jewish uh, uh, lexicon or economy whatever you want to use, uh, there were two things that had to be present for it to actually be a prayer. The first one was that God's name was referenced, and the second one was that you prayed for the kingdom. And if you didn't pray for those, then it wasn't considered a prayer. Now, you go back and you read a lot of those old prayers now, and you look for those things, and you can find them in there, can't you? They always prayed for the kingdom. We need to get back to doing that, don't we? We need to pray for the kingdom that, that God would bless it. That God would fill it up. Look, folks, this is an establishment that when it was established, Isaiah said that the people would flow into it. We can certainly look and say that the hearts of and the condition of men today prevents that from happening. But we don't need to be working in a manner inside the church that prevents that from happening. We need to have the doors open at all times, don't we? I don't care who I run into. Uh, we could always somehow, some way throughout the course of our conversation end up on some scriptural topic and I'm able to talk to them about the Lord. And oftentimes, uh, as a matter of fact, uh, we just had a couple of those half-round windows uh, replaced at our house and, and the gentleman that was doing it, uh, or one of the gentlemen that was doing it, he came back on Saturday to finish it up. Well, they both did, but I, was, I spent a lot of time talking to him that day. And uh, and he was and, and we were just talking about the Lord, and he said uh, he said where where do you pastor at? 
and I said, oh, I, I pastor a little church here in town. And, uh, and I said, well, we'd love to have you sometime. And, and I gave him a card. I gave him one of my sermon audio cards and, and told him to come and visit with us sometime. And, uh, and he said he would. So I'm looking, I'm, looking, I'm looking for him. I'm praying that he comes. Um, but we don't have any control over that. But nevertheless, uh, the prayer that we should have is that the kingdom of God would expand, isn't it? We need the kingdom of God expanding. Uh, and, and for too long, uh, it, it's been really in a, in, a, in a position of contracting, hasn't it? It's been contracting in Europe. It's been contracting in America. And we oftentimes want to blame forces outside, don't we? For why that occurs. For why the church is not living up to its fullest, or why a church isn't living up to its fullest potential. But the real truth of the matter is, is Satan can't harm us. It has to come from within, doesn't it? Uh, Fairview Memorial had the Winter Bible Study where they, had, they did the segment, and this has been several years back now, where they did dangers without and dangers within. I, I look back on it from this end, and I was like, well, they should have just forgot about worrying about the dangers without, because the dangers without are nothing if the, within the construct of the church we're strong and united and we put up a good front. I couldn't believe that we were doing a call to unity this morning. <laughs> But this is what we need to pray for, isn't it? That when the, that the church, that the kingdom of the church, a first would be united, that it would be strong, that it will be uh, that it will be uh, taught the, the the doctrines of the church. Uh, and uh, and I want to go over to a, a a verse of scripture here real quick uh, in uh, in the fourth chapter of Ephesians. Uh, and uh, and this is something that we we read. It was in our Sunday school lesson this morning, and uh, uh, that kind of surprised me. But he says, and he gave some apostles, he gave some prophets, he gave some evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. Now, why did he give us all of those things, right? He says, for the perfecting of the saints. Now, that word perfecting there could really be looked at as the equipping of the saints, right? You, you Equipping the saints for what? For the work of the ministry and for the edifying of the body of Christ till we all come in unity of faith and the knowledge of the Son of God unto a perfect man unto the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. And that's what the church's job is. It is to equip us to be able to go out into the world and to actually advocate for the faith. Here's the big problem that we've had and we've let the world dictate this to us. You leave church at church, and and then the, you live the rest of your life outside of it. Folks, I am a child of God. I am just as much a child of God when I am out doing my secular job as I am when I stand in the pulpit and try to preach the gospel. And when I stand at my secular job and I enter into those conversations, I'm going to steer those conversations as much as within me to the Lord. Uh, and if they're going to be receptive to it, then we're going to have a really productive conversation. And if they're not going to be receptive to it, I'm not going to cast my pearls before swine. I'm not going to force them to listen to something they don't want to listen to. 
But I'm going to make the effort to try to steer that conversation in a way where it could A, uh, expand the kingdom and where it could B, uh, maybe edify somebody who is saved. And so when we pray, we better be praying for the kingdom of God, for the health of it. Uh, and that, and that God, the, that the work, that the work of God, which God's omnipotent, we know that God can do all things, but that the work of the Lord would not be hindered by whom, by us. Remember Jesus being God manifest in the flesh when he found himself in Nazareth, his home country. He didn't work many miracles there, did he? Why is that? Because of their unbelief. Folks, we better be completely convinced through the study of the Word of God that God can do everything that He says He can do. Now, I know that most of us are. But that's not usually on the forefront of our minds, is it? We look at things in a, in a kind of a a faithless manner. I, I call the faithless manner the half, the half glass empty manner, right? Somebody who's faithful looks at a glass that's half empty and says it's half full. That's the difference, I guess, between being an optimist and a pessimist. I don't know, but that's just the way I, I approach it. Then he asks this. Then he makes this request it, on the back half of this, and I think this is something that's very important. He asks to pray for the kingdom. In this same verse here, he says, "Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven." Thy will. Remember when Jesus was in the Garden of Gethsemane, he made the request, "Father, if it be Thy will, let this cup pass from me. If not, Thy will be done." Jesus had resigned himself to the fact of what he was going to have to face at Calvary, didn't he? He accepted it. He understood it, uh, and he and he was uh, reserved reserved to it. Now, most of us don't really look at that and say, "Well, but he was God in the flesh," and and we'll try to make a uh, make an excuse here or there, one way or the other. And so, I want to I want to look at this. Uh, uh, I want to look at a couple verses of scripture here, real quick. I want to go over back over to the thirty-seventh uh, chapter of uh, of the book of uh, Genesis. Uh, it says in the thirty-sixth verse. I'm going to take one verse there, that one, and then out of the thirty-eighth verse, uh, uh, or no, I'm sorry, out of the thirty-ninth chapter, I'm going to take a couple verses. And the Midianites sold him, being Joseph, into Egypt unto Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh's and the captain of the guard. And so that's the last verse of the 37th chapter, is Joseph being captured by the Midianites, being down in the pit that his brothers had put him in, and uh, and being sold into uh, slavery uh, into Potiphar's house there in Egypt. Uh, in the 39th chapter, it says this. It says, And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites. So we know who it is that sold him into, into captivity there, uh, and which had brought him down thither. 
And the Lord was with Joseph, and he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. And his master saw that the Lord was with him, and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight, and he served him, and he made him an overseer of his house, and all that he had, uh, uh, and all that he had put into his hand. Uh, and uh, and so we see this picture of Joseph here, don't we? Uh, uh, being somebody who was his father's favorite child. Uh, if you're a parent, you better not have a favorite child. <laughs> That's caused a lot of problems for Joseph and for all of his children, didn't it? That actually really proceeded forth from a, showing a difference in the mother. And uh, you can go back and study that yourself, but... Here's Joseph, his favorite child, taken away by his brothers, sold into slavery in Egypt by the Ishmaelites, and and then here he finds himself. Most of us, if we found ourselves in that position, would probably not carry ourselves with a very good countenance, would we? We would probably be long in the face and we would probably uh, mope around a lot. We wouldn't get a lot accomplished that was good, which meant we wouldn't be very favorable in the sight of the uh, of our master, right? The one who had paid for us to be a uh, to be a good worker for him. Uh, we wouldn't have that uh, that standing there. The Lord's not going to bless somebody who's of that mindset because they're be, they're behaving uh, downtrodden. Their spirits disquieted. Why, O oh Lord, is my why is my spirit disquieted within me? The psalmist asks. Now, and uh, when when we have so much to gain, and so here Joseph uh, finds himself resigned to the fact that he's Potiphar's servant, and he doesn't sit and mope about it, does he? And he doesn't sit and stew about it. He takes every day, and he takes it, and he makes it the best that he can. And God causes him to prosper in such a way that Potiphar recognizes it and puts him over his whole house. That exact same thing would eventually happen when Joseph would be put over the whole nation of Egypt. But if we went about it in our human form, right? If we went about it the way that we could naturally, rationally justify, none of that would have happened. None of it would have happened. You have another instance, and, and I'm going to touch on this uh, this one, where you have a, a in uh, in Second Kings in chapter five. You're going to hear there, there's a little maid that's mentioned in Second Kings chapter five. It says now Naaman is the house. This is in the first verse of the the captain of the host of the king of Syria, and a great man with his master, honorable, because by him the Lord had given deliverance unto Syria. He was also mighty, a mighty man in valor, but he was a leper. And the Syrians had gone out by companies and had brought away captive out of the land of Israel a little maid. Right? Here you have this little maid. Now her Bible doesn't tell us what her name is. And I'm going to be honest with you. It's irrelevant. What's, what's relevant about this little maid is here she is. She finds herself in a position where she's been captured 
and taken out of her homeland into a strange land that she does not know, with people she does not know, and she's been tasked with the job uh, of being the 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 the, uh, the maiden, I guess you should say, or the handmaid to Naaman's wife. She's the servant of Naaman's wife. Now she didn't do anything to deserve it. It's just the way life worked out for her at this stage of at this point in her life, isn't it? Now, I want you to understand something, because I remember listening to a sermon. Uh, Brother Moran was preaching over the little maid, uh, and he said there was just something about her that stood out to the Lord. I want to tell you what I believe that to be. It was that she she found herself in an untenable position, but she res- but she resigned herself to the fact that she was in it. And when she found out about Naaman's about his physical health condition, she said unto her mistress, that would be Naaman's wife, would God my Lord were were with the prophet, listen to what she just said, would God my Lord, she called Naaman her Lord. Now, small L, right? She calls Naaman her Lord. She has totally accepted the fact that this is life for her. You know how many times the day turns out bad because you just can't accept something? That's nine times out of ten. If I'm having a bad day, it's because something happened and I didn't like it and I didn't want to accept it. Well, imagine if you were captured and made a slave uh, uh, and, and taken off to a foreign land. I'll tell you right now, that would be pretty hard to accept, wouldn't it? But she calls Naaman her Lord. She says, would God my Lord were with the prophet that is in Samaria, in reference to Elisha. For he would recover him of his leprosy. She just testified of God. uh, Because Elisha was God's prophet, and, and Elisha couldn't do anything except the Lord do it. She just said, Would God... Would my Lord that, that he were in Samaria, where the prophet was at, and he would be recovered of his leprosy? This is something in that day that would have been absolutely astounding because it was, it was, it was, uh, it was a condition you could not remedy. Now, I want us to, to think about that. I want us to look over here for just a minute, for just a minute, and we're thinking about this, uh, or try. I'm trying to think about this. We're thinking about where he, uh, where he says, after the kingdom had come, my, thy kingdom come. Uh, and, uh, and he says, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, let me show you what happens here a lot of times, too many times for churches. We go over to 1 Corinthians. We're in the, fir- in the third chapter. And uh, we're in the fourth verse. For, for while one saith that I am of Paul, another I am of Apollos, are ye not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by whom ye believed? This is the problem, isn't it, today? 
We've got too many churches worrying too much about who's filling the pulpit instead of worrying about worshiping the Lord. They think that whoever fills the pulpit makes a lot of the determination and they want to instead bicker and argue and not accept whoever it is that God has placed as pastor and not support them. That, you know that's contrary to what Jesus taught us in the model prayer, right? In the Lord's Prayer. Joseph and the little maid are, exempt, are, are examples of, of thy, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And in, in, in what Paul points out here in 1 Corinthians is they're arguing over, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, um, uh, I'm of, uh, he goes on down, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Christ. They're arguing over natural things, aren't they? Who's filling the pulpit? You, you do understand, and there's so many churches that's been destroyed over that argument. There's a reason that I said, that I, that I preached uh, in a night service, I believe it was a night service, where I preached against the idea, that the, the tradition that we have had in our churches of just opening up the floor once a year. We've invited trouble right in the door, haven't we? Now, I want to I back that up. I want to back that up with the model prayer. Now, the next thing he asked for is give us this day our daily bread. Now, I like the way that, that Luke uh, puts it. If you go over to the 11th chapter of Luke, Luke uh, you can read how Luke states this because I think it's actually, uh, actually more accurate uh, of, a, of an interpretation. Give us day by day our daily bread. We take life one day at a time, don't we? And every day we need the Lord to provide the things that we need. He knows what we need. All we have to do is ask Him for them, isn't it? And that's what He's saying here. Uh, he's saying, rely on the providence of God for the daily needs that you have. Now, next, He says, forgive us our debts and we forgive our debtors. Now, debts is something that's usually analogous to sin. When you study in the Old Testament, a lot of times when they are referencing their sins, they will quantify those as debts that are owed. If we go back to the, to the idea that Paul put, put before us there in 1 Corinthians of one saying he's of Paul and one saying he's of Apollos, one of Cephas, one of Christ. He makes the statement, is Christ divided? No, Christ is united. He should always be united. And as the body of Christ... We should always be united. Now, I want us to show this. And we forgive our debts, and we forgive our debts, and we forgive our forgive us, we ask God of our debts, and we forgive our debtors. In other words, the sin that we've committed against you, Lord, during the course of the day, we pray that you'll forgive it, and those that have sinned against us, we forgive them. Now, here's the problem, isn't it? When you got a church that's split and arguing over who the pastor is, oftentimes they start talking bad about one another, don't they? And it stays there. 
And now this idea of, of asking God to forgive us where we've sinned against Him and then of us also forgiving others where they've sinned against us, here's the importance of it, I believe, and it comes in this, and lead us not into temptation. I believe it should really be say, let, let us not be led into temptation. And you know what's going to lead you into temptation more often than not? Believing that you are right and everybody else is wrong. <laughs> Satan loves that mindset, doesn't he? If you believe you're right and everyone else is wrong. That's where they were at in the Corinthian church. They wouldn't resign themselves to the fact of, of whoever. They, they wanted their guy. We want our guy in there. This plays out a lot still today, and it shouldn't. But then he makes that simple request, doesn't he? Deliver us from the evil. Well, what's the evil? The evil is the infighting, what would come as a natural response to it, isn't it? Deliver us from the evil. Don't let us be this splintered body. Let us be this unified body. Let us be this singular, solitary body in Christ Jesus, fully equipped to go out into the world and do battle with the, with the, with the serpent, with the Satan, uh, with the, that is our enemy, uh, that is our oppressor too. Let us do battle with him uh, in a way that brings you honor and brings you glory because, folks, in the model prayer, you know what? absent there's no mention of self is there there's no mention of self we need to get over the idea that self matters <laughs> self is destructive I want to tell you something today our country has fallen hook line and sinker for the doctrine of self Man's ways are the ways of self. A man, the ways of a man are right in his own eyes, correct? That's against what Jesus is teaching us here in the model prayer. Uh, first off, you have to mention God. Secondarily, you pray for the, for the kingdom of God. Then you acknowledge the providence of God. Then you acknowledge, uh, after the providence of God, you, you acknowledge the, the submission that you show to God. Everybody thinks that if you resist the devil, he'll flee from you. Not if you haven't submitted yourself to God. That verse says, submit yourself to God, resist the devil, and then he'll flee from you. If the submission to God has never taken place, the devil will not flee from you because he ain't afraid of you. He's afraid of God. Amen. He's afraid of God. Why is he afraid of God? Because thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord in the free pardon and forgiveness of sin, you better know Him personally. You've got to know Him intimately. You've got to have an experience of salvation 
with the Lord. You've got to have a moment where you come to know you're a sinner and you have to seek the Lord for salvation. Uh, And when you get it, when you become regenerated in the Lord again, you know it. And then you're one of His. But after that point... We need to be very mindful of what we do, how we act. We need to bring God glory at all times. For thine is the kingdom, and thine is the power, and thine is the glory. Not for a short period of time, forever. Forever. From the beginning to the end, God gets all the glory. There's none for me to be had. There's none for any of you to be had. If a church is fighting amongst itself, you know what they're saying? The glory is mine, and the glory is mine. No, they're not. Uh, Both of them are wrong. The glory belongs to God, and the power belongs to God, and the kingdom that you're fighting over, you know who it belongs to? It belongs to God as well. And so keep that in mind. As we go forward, folks, we got a lot of work to do. Uh, There's a lot of lost people. People that need to be reached in the world today, and we need to be working every day, uh, mindful of every conversation, trying to take advantage of it so that we can use it for the honor and the glory of God and for the expansion of the kingdom of God, that lost sinners might be saved. Amen. Amen. I'm done.